Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J, and this week I'm joined by the very hilarious... Danny O'Brien. Yay! I just realized I didn't tell you you'd have to say your own name there to talk <laughs> about the Burger Chef murders. Have you heard of the Burger Chef murders? I haven't at all. I'm really excited. Like, uh, like all the words in that sentence, apart from murders, kind of ticks my boxes, to be honest I mean, with you. I, well, look, I'm going to be honest. Murder. I instantly thought Danny O'Brien. I was like, you have to talk about this. I'm banging on about murder every week. It's really, like Fred is just living in fear at this point. There's a knife under his pillow. I'm constantly banging on about this stuff. And Fred loves a burger as well. So if he goes missing after one, well, like, yeah. look, guilty as charged. We all all love an old burger even though I did I was saying poor old Danny I left him kind of hanging today because I had a hospital appointment um, this morning it went a little bit over because it turns out I'm basically giving birth to the most ginormous baby man has ever known <laughs> this is the discovery this morning so the baby's well, supposed to be two pounds and we're now weighing in at four pounds so like is. my vagina is clenched <laughs> You might have my friend. My, my friend just had a giant baby um, recently, and uh, his partner did. And yeah, it was. Um, I, I think it was nearly ten pounds when, when he came out. Like he was an absolute little bruiser, <laughs> like, a complete monster. And they were like, Gee, "Maybe we might induce you before the forty weeks." I was like, "Well, can we please do something before this baby gets to twenty pounds?" Like, <laughs> like a salmon. <laughs> People are going to be calling around to the gaff and they're like, where's the baby? And the baby like, I'm the baby. <laughs> the baby's checking IDs at the door on the way in. Well, look, this is the moral of the story is if you're going to have, you know, if you're going to get up the duff with Fred Cook, expect, you know, expect a decent sized baby is what we've learned, <laughs> is what we've learned from this. So, yeah, we all like an burger. Danny, you're a chef. So that's why I thought you'd be great for this one. I think Chef is pushing it. I'm um, I'm a passionate lover of food and cook and home cook, I suppose. 
Oh, well, you're good. But your Instagram is brilliant for the for the food stuff. I mean, I have to say the food porn's off the charts on Danny's page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. comedy, but I'll be saying it at the end. Okay, will I get straight into Danny? Let's do it. Okay, so this story takes place in, it's a little a little place called Speedway in Indianapolis, which is a middle-class suburb of, sorry, in Indiana, which is a middle-class suburb of Indianapolis. I don't know, have you ever been to the Midwest, Johnny? I haven't actually, no. Um, I was in Missouri, but that was about as far as I kind of got. But, um... Oh, that's, that's probably pretty close. I've heard anyway, Indiana is supposed to be like a fab state and like Fort Wayne and all that. It's supposed to be really cool. Yeah. This place anyway was like a suburb of the capital city, Indianapolis, which is obviously a huge city. And the suburb itself is home to something called the Motor Speedway and apparently hosts like regular formula meetings. So it's kind of, it's it's kind of a bit of a boy racer town, but like sure. Still, it, they're big into their car, fast cars and all that kind of crack. But it's, I know. it's country, yeah. country petrol head type people. Do you know what? That's exactly it. Because I was gonna say, like, it's it's not maybe like boy racer or such, but exactly that. Like, just yeah. kind of country heads, and this is their outlet and all that. So, in the nineteen seventies, this is when we're talking about in terms of this crime. It was basically like this suburban paradise. So it had very little crime and it had a population of about 15,000, which by American standards is very small. And because of this, it saw like a lot of middle class couples and families relocate there because it was seen as like a really safe, small community. Sure. the year 1978 was to change all this. So that for all of the 70s, this was a really safe place, very little crime. And then 1978 was when like all the shit hit the fans. So basically, it all started off with this really bizarre crime. So on July 29th, a local granny who, who was called Julia Cyphers was shot to death in her garage in the middle of the afternoon. So basically what had happened was, This random guy had called the door and had said, hey, you had like this boot sale, kind of car boot sale recently. And I just want to look at some of the antiques you had. So the husband was the one who answered the door. So he goes, gets his wife and she takes this man into the garage to show him some of her antiques. Yeah. So. Like, again, you have to remember, like, obviously, it's the middle of the day, like, super safe neighborhood. Yeah, it doesn't, like, it doesn't seem dodge-like, you know what I mean? It's yeah, not- I mean, you you know, yeah, like, you would think, okay, like, she doesn't know this guy, but it's it, within the context, it seems legit. The story checks out. Yeah. So he then, all of a sudden, she brings him into the garage, and he shoots her and drives off without taking anything. So, obviously, he hadn't come. It wasn't, like, for a robbery it was it there didn't seem to be any motive like this was just it just floored the community uh, so she was just shot and killed in her own home in the middle of the day like with no discernible motive so that was july and then say about maybe a month later on september 1st to the 6th so like nearly a week six random bombs go off at various spots in Speedway. So like this is a really small town mm-hmm. and there's just these six random bombs detonated over a week period. So the last bomb, basically most of the bombs were like, they didn't harm anyone as such. They were just kind of placed in random places and nobody was hurt. But the last bomb detonated in a high school car park and a Vietnam vet and his wife were severely injured. Jesus. So this, this poor guy had managed to make it through Vietnam 
he comes back to Speedway, which is like this really safe community, and that's where he loses his leg. Like, how fucked up is that? Like, that's like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like like going to Afghanistan, and then you get bombed outside Little, like, on the way in your home. I mean, well, if you're going to get bombed anywhere, I'd say not to name names, but, like, Little will be top of my list. But, I mean... (laughs) But exactly, you just be like, for fuck's sake, like, okay, I'm past that point, you know, hopefully I'll have both legs for life now. And then you go to, there was, it was basically like this high school football game. So Jesus. you nip down to this high school football game and that's where you lose your life. That's such I a mean, horrendous place to put it because they're so popular as well. Like it's the epitome of the American family dynamic. Like that's like, yeah. that's as scaldy as it gets, like. And you know what? Yeah, you're totally right. And also, you'd think as well, like maybe they were looking for kind of maximum damage because exactly that, that it, you know, the way that, you know, like the high school football game, it's like this thing, you know, which is so huge to Americans on a Friday night. It's just the families go, big crowds, and that's where they decided to place this bomb. So yeah. this poor guy, like, was so sad, had to have his leg amputated. And the man then, like, this is really, really sad. Uh, he actually killed himself in 1983 because he just, obviously, he had the, had the trauma of losing his leg and he also had chronic pain after this bombing. Yeah. So he actually committed suicide in 1983. So just really, really sad. So <laughs> you're, you're, really, say, you're really brightening up my day, you? Oh, I know. Well, look, to be honest, most guests just end up saying things like, this is awful. And then at the end, <laughs> I say, so anyway, if you want to give me your Instagram. But just look, it's there. obviously, I don't have to say like very sad. Like everyone, you know, obviously would have that response to it. But anyway, to say as well, before I talk about these Burger Chef murders, that in the 65-year history of Speedway, which always floors me just how young America is, you know, when yeah. you talk about towns and seven. 1978 only be being 65 years old but anyway so they'd only ever had two murders previous to this so like just a bit of context there that this was not in any way anticipated so friday 17th of november 1978 these four teenagers are closing up shop in this burger restaurant this burger chef restaurant so the employees were all teenagers bar the assistant manager who was a, a girl called Jane Free. She was 20. And then the other three employees closing up for the night, there was this guy, Daniel Davis, who was 16, Mark Flemons, who was also 16, and Ruth Ellen Shelton, who was 18. So in other words, four, there were just four kids the closing kids, yeah. up for the, rest of the night. Yeah. It's like so, stand, stand By Me, fast food edition. Like, yeah, so like these, but again, it's probably a flashback to, I don't know, did, did you ever work in like any chippers or like restaurants or anything I, like yeah, that? Oh yeah, like loads of restaurants. And I worked in a, an ice cream parlor as well for a summer. That was class. So, <laughs> yeah, so you, you know what's up. Like yeah. it's like teenagers playing adults. Like we've all like yeah, yeah. closed up a place and you're like, will I leave the key in the door? Fuck it, I'll just leave it in the door. Like, you know, they're just they're just kids, basically. So they're closing up. And after midnight, this other employee is passing and he sees that the lights are still on. So he's like, OK, that's a bit weird because they should have been out of here ages ago. So he stops to check is everything OK. And he sees the back door is open, walks into the restaurant and spots that all four teenagers are gone. So they're gone. The back door is open. The lights are on. So straight away, he knows something is up because he spots that they have left their jackets and the girls have left their purses in the restaurant. So there's clearly something wrong because like this is January 
in the Midwest. Like it's cold. They would be wearing their jackets. Freaked out, he calls the police straight away, which of course is what you're going to do. So when the police arrive, they note that Jones's car, Jane's car is gone. The tills are on the ground and the manager's office is in chaos. There's also a roll of duct tape on the scene. So like, what would you, I know you have limited police experience, Danny, but like, what would you be presuming? I was going to say there's been there's been a, a hold up slash kind of a kidnap before. Like. A rob, yeah, a robbery may be gone wrong. Like you'd be thinking, yeah, like a hold up, something like that. So bizarrely, the police presume that the teens have actually stolen the money. So they've st- there was about maybe two grand missing from this like burger chef. So that it's still it must the be a good burger. That's a substantial amount of money back then. That's like in '78. Yeah, mm. I mean, look, it just goes to show, like, this is the business we should all get into. Like, let's face it. But uh, he, so the police presume that the teens had taken the money and just gone out partying for the night. Right. So you're kind of like really, but anyway, they called the owner and they were saying, "Look, I think these kids have just gone off, done a bit of a runner," and the owner decides to bring the staff in the next morning as usual. So they're open for breakfast the next day. Tell the staff, just clean up and we're going to open as usual. Yeah. So like, again, it just really makes you question like, I mean, you know, you don't want to think, imagine how you're going in to order your breakfast McMuffin at 10 a.m. the next morning. And like, this has been a scene of a serious crime, like just a few hours previous. The owner's like, look, let's just open as usual. Even though everything is pointing to the fact that something has gone seriously wrong. Like these kids are nowhere to be found. They they left their stuff behind. There's duct tape. I mean, like that's Yeah, just like I mean boring. like it reminds me of like a kind of in the Simpsons when he throws the dead hamster in the vet and he goes, This just doesn't get any easier and flicks them off the board and it goes through the little net. This is kind of like a burger joint equivalent of that. He's like, I'm sure everything here is fine. Like, you know, that is a really, it's a really good analogy. And there is kind of a whack of Chief Wiggum of the police here. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're literally being presented with a till that has been ransacked and there's duct tape. And you're saying, I think they just decided to go off and have a few drinks. What? <laughs> like, none of this is making sense. So obviously, it goes out saying the fact that they were open for business the next day, like forensics are completely fucked by this because the fingerprints yeah, of course. are gone. Everything yeah. will have been wiped down. Only it's impossible, like it'd be needle in a haystack type stuff. Like Yeah. So it's all wiped down. If there had been any blood, like that's gone. It's just a case of business as usual. So obviously the next morning, it's a Saturday morning, the kids' families are panicking because they're like, we have four responsible teenagers, especially, you know, teenagers that work. You know, they do have a certain, like, you know, they're not going to just go off and hightail it and stage a robbery and go off partying for the night. So they're freaking out the families. They file missing persons reports and they start basically looking for their kids. So the next day on the Sunday, Jane's car is found a couple of streets away from the restaurant. They find her car. So it had been moved. And the driver's, now the driver's door is locked. The passenger door is open. So I don't know, you know, what that would point to necessarily. But other than that, the only real evidence they find, but they don't even consider it evidence, like a few burger wrappers. Because, I mean, you're going to be getting the free burgers. if Yeah, you're there's, there's got to be perks, like, you know. There has to be perks. Unless, as we've discovered recently, you're working in Supermax. And then we discovered there are no perks because they're just going to charge you for the fucking burgers. But anyway, wow. so 
burger wrappers, cigarette butts, but like again, it's 1978, so they don't test any of this stuff. Like, you know, there's there's nothing that they can kind of really take from also, these. I, I think smoking was actually mandatory for restaurant workers in the 70s. Oh, I think it has to be. <laughs> Hairnets and cigarettes. <laughs> It just, it has, like, seriously, if you're not smoking, like, well, I mean, bearing in mind, this was up to recently, people still view, viewed smoking as a way to chill out. Like, my mother was encouraging me to smoke, I'd say, up until the ages of 25, and then finally accepted <laughs> Maybe it's bad for you. But she was always like, chill out and have a fag. Uh, yeah. So look, if you're working, if you're working in somewhere like a burger shop, like as well, you have to just be smoking or doing something to chill out. So we won't judge her for that at all. But they, they didn't take anything from this. So they were like, look, yeah, a few cigarette butts, burger wrappers. That's about it. Nothing that gives us any kind of a lead here. So a search finally begins when it becomes clear that the teenagers have been abducted, See, except way too late in the day that these kids are missing. And two days after this, uh, after the Friday, so on the Sunday evening, the kids are actually, this is now like really very tragic. So in this place called Johnstown County, which was about a 30 minute drive from Speedway, and it was kind of like this kind of foresty area. The four bodies of the teens are all found by a group of hikers. So very, like, just really, really sad. So the circumstances are just awful in which they're found. So Daniel and Ruth, it turned out, obviously, police were alerted to this and they came down, found the bodies, and they determined that Daniel and Ruth had been shot numerous times execution style. Jane was had been found a bit further away and she had been stabbed twice in the chest and so violently like that this again is unbelievable that the handle of the knife has never been recovered. So she was like violently murdered. I mean, really, really bad. And then what is in Mar- the knife? The, the handle was like inside the, the body. It was like thrust. So the blade so hard. Was in her, yeah, the blade was in her, but the, the handle wasn't there, which is just horrendous. Um, and Mark was also found. So Mark had been, he was only 16, um, but he was kind of a bit, like a bit more, uh, I suppose he was the more athletic one, like he played football, all that kind of stuff. So he was found about 75 yards away and he had been basically hit repeatedly with something like a chain. That's what they thought. And the real tragedy, I mean, this is just so like awful to think about he had actually run into a tree. So what they, they figured was that he had been beaten and that then he ran. But obviously this is nighttime. So he actually ran into a tree and fell and choked on his own blood. So that's oh how God. he died. Yeah. And they actually thought that they figured with the murders, because obviously this is a forest area as well. Like I have such a phobia of forests anyway. Really? Like you can imagine, I'm so freaked out by trees at night. I just think bad shit goes down. But so he had like ran off and they actually kind of presumed that maybe the murderers thought that they, they like he had escaped because yeah. they, he essentially, it was just a tragic accident was how he died in the end, which is just seems really cruel. Um, so basically the police have this theory and they think, look, probably what happened was, was that like obviously the, 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 what it kind of points to is that Jane and Mark had made a run for it and this is why the teens had all been found in different locations but at the same time because they've all been killed in different ways 
like what would you think that might point to if like oh, you know, I think it sounds like a group excuse me were, were kind of like messing with them and you know what I mean like yeah. just kind of nearly yeah it's more than one person like well it has to be anyway because you're talking about four kids but like it's definitely more than one killer because it's literally we're talking about all like a, a myriad of 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 uh, of murder methods here. So officers from Jonestown, Johnstown County, where the bodies were found, and Anderson County, where the burger chef was, and the state police arrived. So straight away, like I mean, you wouldn't even need to spell it out for people. Like there's just. There are too many people here, like too many people involved. It's kind of, you know, obviously, I wouldn't say competing jurisdictions, but like it's neighboring police departments and stuff. And it's kind of accepted now that there was just this massive power struggle and almost like a turf war element to it in that like there was a lot of local politics involved in this and basically police departments not wanting to help one another, which, of course, hindered the investigation from the start. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, so some of the first officers who responded would claim that the state police had actually moved the bodies. But then the state police were like, there's no way we'd do that. Like, why would we do that? Like, what would the purpose be? And also, of course, like the most obvious one, which happens so often, the crime scene wasn't cornered off at all. It wasn't roped off. So they had like three different police departments traipsing around, like obviously like footsteps everywhere, like completely fucking up any hope of getting any forensics from the scene. Yeah, so they've done themselves zero favours. Like they don't like, want to solve it. Like just it's just it's really bad police work from the beginning. So the burger chef chain puts up a twenty five thousand dollar award for any information and obviously the town of Speedway is an absolute panic. The initial thinking was that this was a botched robbery, but it still puzzles police that, like, obviously these kids, like, you'd think maybe robbery gone wrong, but, like, these kids were moved to different locations. So, like, that's a huge risk. Like, driving four kids 30 Yeah, without anyone road. noticing. And, see, there's no CCTV really back then either, yeah. though. And, like, not to sound, you know, you're not, like, obviously not being flippant about this, but, like, if it's a robbery gone wrong, like, why not just kill the kids there? Yeah. It just, it doesn't make sense, like, you know, bringing the four of them, like, to this area. Really very strange. So a 16-year-old witness comes forward, and he says that he and his girlfriend had been had spotted two sharply dressed white men in their 30s. So these two guys were in a van. So basically himself and his girlfriend were in this area. They were sitting by these railroad tracks, like getting their shift done or whatever. They spot these two guys in the van, uh, kind of like loitering outside the burger chef place. Suspiciously skulking. Yeah, like, well, I mean, this... To be honest, like this is quintessential skulking. One of them was known as, became to be known as the bearded man. So one had a beard and the other one was like, kind of had a bandana almost as a face mask. So straight away you're like, okay, that's really strange. Yeah. Um, and then, so basically the bearded man had come over to these kids and said, oh, listen, just so you know, there's loads of vandals uh, in this area at the moment. So you'd probably be better off leaving. So obviously these two kids were kind of freaked out and they were like, oh yeah, they get out of there and like because obviously they had spoken to this guy they uh, told police and they did up these amazing composite sketches they were actually really really detailed so you think okay well that's great because they basically obviously there's a chance these two men weren't involved but it is a bit fishy that they were at the very least they might know something you know what I mean yeah exactly or they might exactly that like maybe they might have seen something so 
They uh, So they do have these campuses set sketches, but no members of the public come forward with information. They get absolutely no hits on, on these sketches whatsoever. Right. So each investigator, and there's loads of them because we're talking about three police departments, they all have their own theories. One thinks it was the mob. The other thinks it was a biker gang. The other thinks it was a detective's nephew. Uh, a few of them think drug smugglers and basically like they're just don't have a clue. They've nothing to go on. So there was a lot of talk at the time that drug smugglers had been using the toilets in Burger Chef. Um, basically that they would like leave packages there and then other people would pick the packages uh, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh yeah, that old chestnut. Yeah, yeah, of course. And he's like, that's how I always smuggle my drugs. <laughs> so they did think that like maybe that was actually, you know, it did play a part. So the bearded man is this guy that they really wanted to find. So one line of inquiry was that a robbery gang who had already robbed a few burger chefs um, had actually been involved in this. And one of the members of this gang was this fair haired guy known as the shotgun man, which is like a great nickname. So the police, the police arrive at this guy's house to serve a warrant and lo and behold, they spot his next door neighbour who just so happens to be a dead ringer, like absolute dead ringer for the bearded man. So the cops are like, brilliant, we're going to bring him in. <laughs> so the cops say, listen, just so you know, we're going to bring you in tomorrow for questioning and a lineup. So when he shows up the next day, of Shave course, his beard, he- like. Exactly, Danny. How He's shaved his beard. Are they like? Why would you say that to someone who's got? You shouldn't like when someone gets brought in for questioning. They should literally be picked up and brought in so they can't do anything or ditch anything. But to give I them mean, a heads up so they can groom and like, I mean, if you shave your beard, some people can change race by shaving beard because they look that oh, dramatically different. Like. You wouldn't even recognize the person. So like. Obviously, the kids, these 16-year-old kids are like, I don't think the guy is here when they're faced with the lineup. And like the cops are like, fuck's sake, because it's on them, basically. Like, as you say, they should have just brought him in. <laughs> so uh, the, that guy, so this beard man guy, his son, now this is interesting. So his son later claimed that on his deathbed, that this bearded guy had actually confessed that he had committed the Burger Chef murders but of course, like that isn't enough like to pin it on someone either. Wow. And the investigators are like, okay, yeah, no, this is the guy, but we just can't prove it, was kind of their attitude. So then we have Mar- Marianne County Police Department. So they're certain it's this guy called Don Wayne Forrester. So this guy was just a total dick, basically. I mean, absolute scum. So he was a thief and a convicted paedophile. And he had recently been convicted of abducting an 18-year-old girl with the intent of sexually assaulting her. But thankfully, this girl had escaped from the car, the moving car. Um, and this case was unusual, even by today's standards, in that he actually got, like, which is brilliant, he got 95 years in prison. Which was like, you know, surprising. Obviously, it's fantastic, but like, it's one of the more lengthy sentences that you'd kind of hear about with these things, unfortunately. Yeah. But he's so he's awaiting trial. And this guy says, Oh, by the way, I did the Burger Chef murders, just so you know. Um, so basically, it's like this jailhouse confession. This guy knows that he's going down for this crime. And it like people kind of just presume he's an attention seeker and obviously that he's looking for some kind of plea bargain just to get 
ears down. So one thing, though, that he did say, which did did say, which did seem plausible, was that he did claim that Jane's brother had owed money for a drug deal. And he and his mates had come to threaten Jane. He said that Mark, who had stepped, had stepped in to protect her and that he had fallen, hit his head. And that's when kind of shit hit the fan and they decided to move them all to another location. So this guy kind of didn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff he said, which was just stuff that was in the media. But one thing he did say was that and people were like, OK, like maybe that's a runner. But I mean. In saying that, obviously, there was no, you know, there, 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 I suppose you kind of have to take it with a pinch of salt when someone's in a position that they're facing 95 years, you know, like, yeah, of course. You, don't, you don't necessarily, they're not the most reliable of informants either. But another element that could possibly back this up, though, like his claim that he was involved in these in these crimes Uh, was his ex-wife had claimed in the year after the murders that her husband had come home that night telling her what had happened and had flushed the shell casings down the toilet. So the investigators later, like years later, they did go through the septic tank under the house and they found shell casings. Which I would think is like, okay, ding, 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 that's your smoking gun, like literally. Mm. But they did say then, of course, like, you know, with like modern forensics and stuff, they had said at the time, oh, these actually match like the bullets used in the Burger Chef murders. But obviously since then, like it's kind of, I suppose people are a little bit more informed and it wouldn't be something that you could present in court because in terms of ballistics and all that, like I think urine in particular is very corrosive. Yeah. So it just would kind of, it, like it, it just would compromise the evidence quite a bit. Like it's not something you could really rely on. But it, but it is interesting though, isn't it? Because that's what the wife said he did. And then there are, I mean, I t- would you usually foot flush shell case, like casings? Yeah, I don't know. Would like that- I, I never, I've actually, it's the first time I've ever heard of anyone flushing shell casings. But I mean, like, yeah, if you're going to, I'd, I'd, I'd go for the lake option. If I'd murdered someone, I wanted to get rid of the shell casings. Like, I'd be going out and throwing them into the sea because, you know. from Wick, though. Like, you're going to yeah. go for, like, you're mad for lakes. You're going <laughs> to always <laughs> well, throw shit in the lake. I once, when I was a kid, dropped the, uh, do you know those little hook things? They're, they're kind of gross, actually. The little cages that would hook onto the side of the toilet and, like, your family home. You know, they were, like, little air That's freshness. so funny. Yes, uh, one yeah, yeah. One of them once fell down the jacks and my gaff, and then it went in so far that I was just, like, I was, like, nine or something. I remember just going, I'm just going to leave that. You know, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. And then about like three months later, we had the septic tank, like dino rods down and everything. And they found that that was the culprit. I was like, oh, oh. did you mess up? You know what? Yeah, I did. In the end, I just said, uh, I just said, listen, I, I think that was a thing had fallen down into it. Like, it just fell down and I happened to flush it. But it is that thing of you put shit in the toilet and you're like, that's gone now. I don't need to worry. No, like that's not how you get rid of your shell casings, I would imagine either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it does. No, no to self. Doesn't seem environmentally friendly. Like that's, you know, what we're thinking. But so look, it's interesting. But again, it's not something that you could say, okay, this is the piece of evidence now that we were we were missing here. So the detectives, as is so often, and I kind of don't blame the detectives in that for this one, in that I think I'd be guilty of this myself. They are just 100% sure it's this guy. And they spent a year and a half trying to pin it on him. They get a bit blinded by it. He fails two polygraph tests. Later on, he recants his confession. He says, oh, I was just fucking with you when I told you I was involved in those murders and I was just trying to 
get a few years off my sentence. And he dies of cancer in 1986. Um, so the fight, the kind of the, the last little, I suppose, element to this story, I'm going to bring it back to the bombings. So do you remember I was saying these bombings yeah. that happened week in September? So that same year, so a couple of weeks after, um, so a couple of weeks after these bombings, September 20th, a guy called Brett Kimberland was arrested. So he was known as a drugs, a known drug smuggler and also had invested money in like legit businesses like hiking footwear and a health food shop. So he was like a bit of a hippie. Mm. Um, so they obtain a search warrant and they find similar wiring. Now, the search warrant, like they're just going after this guy for drugs. But when they go after him, they obviously get the search warrant. And what they find in his in his house is like basically like this kind of wiring, which is similar to what was used in the six bombs. And they also find a thousand pounds of mar- marijuana at his gaff as well. So they're like, OK, we've got our guy. So he's tried, he's put on trial and like, this is kind of bizarre, but this is what the prosecutors and police maintain that like, this was his motive when it comes to these bombings. So they believe that he had launched this bombing campaign, this Kimberland guy had launched this campaign to detract attention away from another crime that he had committed, which was, (laughs) you want to take a guess? (laughs) Did it involve some murdered burger stuff? No, well, we'll come to that in a minute. But you remember I said about the lady who'd been killed in yeah, her of garage? Of course, the garage lady. Yeah. So, but so like, what, what an extreme, like, cover, oh. like, to cover, like, a single murder, not not detracting from that, but, like, to cover up a single murder of someone in their garage with a insane, like, IRA bomb. early 70s bombing campaign seems like, like, 10 out, 11 out of 10 for, like, efforts of deflection but jesus christ yeah i mean it's it doesn't it doesn't seem like the best move does it like i know what i'll do okay i've killed one person i'm just gonna let some bombs off to keep them distracted for a while like it doesn't yeah well, i mean it's not really of, like, of like pulling a bit of rosemary off your neighbor's rosemary bush and then throwing a brick through their car window <laughs> <laughs> probably it is that kind of logic isn't it <laughs> It's so chaotic. It actually is. It is like, oh, I've left a coffee stain on that coffee table. Didn't use a coaster. I'll just burn the house down. Like, what what are you talking about? But anyway, this was their theory that, like, basically, he had been responsible for the murder of this lady in the garage, Julia Cyphers, uh, a few months previous. So this is, like, September 20th. So she would have, uh, She. this is actually, say, a year and a bit after so they're saying look this is this was his thinking that we you know we were going to basically get distracted by all this they discovered that Julia had disapproved of his friendship with her daughter and especially his relationship with her granddaughter so this guy was like such a creep when it came to her granddaughter so she found out that Kimberland had basically been like he was just he was way too friendly like with her young granddaughter and she felt her daughter was kind of ignoring like certain things like this guy had like taken her away the from pedo vibe, like I mean the pedo vibes was off the charts like he had taken her away from tr- for trips and st- like he was clearly grooming her uh spending a lot of time with her buying her presents told her wait for it serious heebie-jeebies alert that he was going to marry her Ugh. 
I mean, really gross. But anyway, so thankfully he was just, you know, he was in the grooming process and Julia was just this really cool, really involved granny. And she was like, no, I'm not having him anywhere near my granddaughter. So she, they, it was thought, was about to report him for drug smuggling and paedophilia yeah. because she was aware that he had gotten her daughter involved in drug smuggling as well. So she was like, I'm getting this guy out of our lives. And that is why it's thought, uh, it's believed that he decided to get one of his mates, a guy called William Bowman, who was later identified by Julia's husband to take her out to kill Julia. So Kimberland is convicted of the bombings and the drug smuggling, this this charge that he's on currently. So he's convicted of the bombings and the drug smuggling and sentenced to 50 years for those crimes. And at the end of his trial, legal pads had detailed plans to kill the prosecutor and also stage more bombings, which, again, just as an insight like, like 50 into... Like, years, 50 years doesn't seem like... When you look at what you get for possession of crack cocaine, for example, in America versus, like, you know, the, the, the it was 100 to 1 versus normal cocaine. Like, so the fact that you could get, like, more of a sentence for having, like, a couple of bags of rocks of crack or whatever on you to a bombing campaign is absolute insanity to me. It, it actually is, isn't it? Like 50 years just doesn't seem, it just no. it, it just doesn't seem like enough. Yeah. So like this is their thinking, but again, like they sent him to 50 years that, you know, he is a suspect in this, in this Julia Cyphers crime. They're pretty sure that like, because he knew this guy, William Bowman, and the husband was like, that's the man that shot my wife. Like, they're pretty sure he is responsible for this murder, but they just can't pin it on him, yeah. basically. Um, so this guy had, uh, so he had, um, uh, the week that this, this was in September, the first day, the, the day of the first bombing was the day that Kimberland was supposed to go into the police and talk about his relationship to Julia. Yeah. So again, feeds into the theory that this was like a whole deflection attempt. And then also, because he had involved Julia's daughter in the drug smuggling business, the night before she was due to be brought into police, talk to police about the drug smuggling, the Burger Chef murders happened. So again, the police were saying, look, probably what it was, was that he wanted to stage a robbery to again, kind of, I suppose, keep police busy focusing on that. And that maybe that this robbery had gone wrong. And again, fitting in with this theory that he had been trying to distract police, although like, as you said as well, like, it does seem a bit of a psychopathic way to get yourself off the hook for drug smuggling and or murder. <laughs> To be fair, it just doesn't seem very legit. Oh, yes. And also, just um, before I get to the final bit, remember the Vietnam vet he lost? Yeah, yeah. Just like random sidebar and, you know, subsequently committed suicide. His family went on to fight a civil suit against Kimberlin because obviously he'd been convicted of these bombings. And like this prick went on to counter sue the family for defamation of character. So he's just like complete scum, this guy. He's what we call a bad hippie. God, man. I didn't know. I thought like, that nearly sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it does. Like, he just is not a good guy. He's not getting on board with the whole, like, hippie philosophy at all. So investigators continue to follow more leads. But again, like, nothing concrete. I mean, even with those different theories, like there's nothing concrete there either. Like the, you know, the, the, the three men specifically now that they've said, Oh yeah. Okay. They're probably most likely to be involved. There's just, there's nothing particularly concrete and the case remains unsolved, officially unsolved 40 years later. Wow. 
And actually, just another random sidebar, one of the things, because like Indiana, obviously, at the time, certainly this part of Indiana, not a lot was happening crime-wise, etc. But uh, the Friday night, uh, the kids went missing and were most probably murdered that night, of course. The following day, Saturday, do you remember the Jonestown murders? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So in Guayama. So it turns out that he had actually been Mr. Jones had what was his name again? John Jones. Was that his name? He had he was actually an Indiana native. So the day after the murder, this Jonestown massacre had happened, this mass suicide. So that was the number one story in Indiana, like that weekend and obviously in weeks to come. So another reason they think maybe it hasn't been solved is just that that key time frame, people were so focused on this Indiana related murder because obviously this guy is from Indiana that again, the kids murders just did not get the attention that it deserved. Jesus. I want these these kind of stories as well. Really, really. I know that Ireland is certainly not perfect, but when you hear these kind of things, even if it was in the past or whatever, it makes you so grateful to live on this little Island. And secondly, how much insight to just how incredibly fucked up, America is as a country on so many different levels. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very, you know, totally. And like even the police, the level of police incompetence, I know like our police aren't perfect either, but it just seems there were so many points in this investigation where they completely fucked up. And like, you know, between like these drug smugglers, like everyone's got guns, you know, everyone like, seems it's like, to yeah, have it's, it's literally like, it's like super troopers, like where super troopers isn't even really a satirical parody, you know what I mean? It's, yeah it's exactly it's it's nearly like that only it's like it's real it's real life and in 2018 the people of speed the community in speedway raised money to plant four oak trees in memory of the four teenagers who lost their lives and that is the story of the burger chef murders wow i thought it was going to go down the road of like you know there was there was someone grinding up an ex-partner into burgers and dishing it out to them and, you know, it's some kind of revenge thing. That's what I... I know. I think you always... Because there has been... It's not uncommon, like, to hear about, like... So, it, well, again, we're talking about American culture here, but, like, there were many, many... Mur- there have been many, many murders in fast food restaurants over the years. Yeah. I mean... A that, lot like- of... A lot of kind of, you know, these, you know, lone wolves coming in with guns and just shooting the place up. So you kind of automatically assume, okay, is it that? But it obviously wasn't a crime like that. Maybe that's how veganism started. Like maybe the first early extreme vegans were those people that were like going and shooting a fast bird burger. You know what I mean? But well, then they were, they were like, this is a little bit too much, lads. So they had to start well, like dissident Republican vegans who just protest and stuff instead. You say that, but you know he was a bloody vegetarian was Brett Kimberlin. Yeah. The guy who did the bombings. He had like a vegetarian restaurant. Yeah. And, and he so was a vegetarian, so vegetarian restaurant. So it's Hitler. Well, you see, this is what I mean, like, so they're not good guys either. They're not, they definitely so are not. Watch out, what I'm saying is watch out for your local health food shop owner, especially if he has his own footwear company. And I mean, let's face it, he is going to be vegetarian if he, if probably, most likely anyway, if he's running a health food shop. Beware of that guy. Certainly if he's got yellow legal pads, you need to beware because like Brett as well, if you're planning to murder a prosecutor, police and do more bombings, like don't write it all on legal 
trial pads. <laughs> like, like, at your own trial. Like, imagine, like, just, like, furiously. Like, that's like being in a police interview. And, like, while they're interviewing you, you're furiously scribbling kill and their badge number. like And, like, drawing, like, a little diagram of how you're going to do it. Like, they're literally looking at you, like... I mean, that's all it was missing was a doodle. Like, it's not like you can say, like, Kimberly could be like, I okay, can I just take my pad? And this the prison officer goes to have a look. And he's like, no, sorry, that's private. And the prison officer's like, you're right, sorry, here you go. I mean, stop it. You're at a fucking, you're in a courtroom, Brett. <laughs> these, anyway, are my, look, these are Brett's private thoughts. These are, it's like looking at someone's phone. How dare you? <laughs> that's like reading my diary. But look, obviously, Brett was not the swiftiest as we are. But like, again, sorry, he is a suspect in the Julia Cyphers murder. All likelihood was behind it. We can't say for sure, but you know who's to say whether or not that's whether that's what kind of you know precipitated the burger chef murders maybe he wasn't involved who knows but it is very sad for the families that it's still unsolved after this many years it is the the saddest burger story i haven't had too many negative experiences with burgers to be honest with you they've always been pretty positive like this is probably yeah last night i know like we're totally I got a, I had a bunch of last night. Yeah, I really needed it. I was exhausted and I was a bit hungover as well. So it was a perfect, like two shows back to back. And the only solution to all of those, to all of life's problems is a delicious burger. Bunsen though, shout out to Bunsen. Is there Bunsen's in Kerry yet? There's not, but the next best thing, we got a burger from Alma's in Castle Maine, homemade burgers, absolutely delicious. So we got one of those last That's... night. I mean, this is probably why I'm giving birth to a ginormous baby, let's yeah. face it. But I promise it was a once-off, okay? Now, Danny, before you go, if we want to find you on Instagram, it's D-O-B Comedy. Yeah, that's it. And if you're, anyway, like if you eat food, you need to follow Danny on Instagram because he has amazing recipes and like the photography and everything is always deadly and you've got crack with it. And also you're doing this really cool. Tell us about the garden gigs. So I started this thing with Damien Clark, you know, well, uh, Australian comedian who's been here now for 15 years or so. So I think he's like pretty much one of us. And we got asked to do a charity gig for Pieta House at the start of May, it was called a stay day thing. And then um, we did a, an outdoor socially distanced gig. And then we were asked to do one in the flats in George Reynolds. And then um, we put up a little clip of that and it went a bit viral. And then we got a good bit of press and newspaper and TV and stuff. And so we started this little company. I had this kind of idea to start this thing called Garden Gigs Ireland. And we've done some gig for like frontline staff, like super value staff. Uh, in Wexford, we've done gigs in two different drug rehabilitation centers for the clients out there. We um, also just filmed a special last week in um, O'Reilly House in Rings End. And um, we're flying. So we've kind of managed to fill our summer diary with outdoor gigs and online gigs as well. So we, we're a one-stop shop. We pull up. We've got everything. We've got the sound equipment. We just plug in and we can do a gig, socially distance and all that crack. It's been really good fun. And you know what? Like the clips have been great it looks like you've had such crack and people have really enjoyed it yeah and it's a way of just keeping um you know just trying to keep like comedy alive and just keep keep our performing alive and like the zoom gigs are grand you know what i mean but there there's no there's no replacement for live audience interaction and stuff like that And, and as restrictions are easing a little bit it's making things a little bit easier so we've managed to do gigs at the height of the restrictions like even when we were stuck within our like uh, two kilometers and stuff because we both lived close enough to be able to do shows 
And oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, so you weren't even breaking the law. Nothing. We did it all street legal. So if we were able to get through all of that and still gig, then hopefully the future is bright. There's no excuse why we can't um, can't keep pushing this out and keep doing shows outside. The weather is the only thing that can be against you, but sometimes the I rain will pass. Yeah, yeah. And like, look, I mean, I think like the clips have been so good. It looks like the crowds have really enjoyed the gigs. I just think fair play to you for doing it. And it was just, it's a really clever idea as well. And it kind of, you know, keeps comedy alive whilst complying with regulations and all that kind of crack. And sure, people need a bit of a giggle now more yeah, than ever. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it's maybe something that we were kind of missing before this. Maybe we needed, like, you know, I never thought I'd be like driving up to someone's back garden and doing a gig to people all sitting in their deck chairs. But it's the best crack. Like, and um, it's actually a really fun gig for us to do as well because everyone is really up for it that's the best thing about it like no one that you're doing these gigs for isn't up for it and all the charity ones is, everyone, they, they've been so appreciative it, like uh i do you know what fair play to you and yourself and Damo, i could i couldn't be prouder of you know you're great for coming up with all this stuff like brilliant i just feel like such a lazy bitch sitting at home uh, you're, my pre- you're pregnant with a giant burger baby like you know? <laughs> I do. to be fair the baby is huge um but listen danny that's so deadly and if you want to find like information on those garden gigs i presume it's on your insta is yeah it? it's on everything and it's got its own insta and stuff now as well but the website is just Ooh. garden gigs ireland um and it's got like loads of pictures and like testimonials from loads of different groups of people that we've done the gig for and a few video clips as well and we've got something pretty exciting coming hopefully onto the telly soon as well so it's all oh, go i can't wait obviously you can't tell me you'll have to kill me so i'll, yeah. I'll have to watch everyone else i'm so honestly i'm so happy you got you did the podcast danny thanks a million for doing no it because i know you're busy so you're very good thanks so much danny Deadly, Julie, fair play when's Bye. your due date Oh, due date. Well, sure, look, 22nd of September, but it, they're like, we're going to have to change this bitch. Yeah, this yeah. Are, are you going to go for the, are you going to go for the El Cesarean, like? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm What's not going to, I'm not. Too, too, too posh I, to push. Well, no, we've been doing a hypnobirthing class, so I was all of the buzz, oh, I'm going to, you know, breathe this baby out of me. But I think the way it's looking, probably won't be doing that, to be honest. (laughs) I'd like to to involve uh, the seaside. I'd like to avoid it if I can. But sure, look, we'll do what we got to do to get this burger baby out. Yeah, just do the best thing for the burger baby. That's all that matters. (laughs) Danny, thanks so much. Thanks a million. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. 